We're back. Start Summit 21, San Gallen, Switzerland. And our speaker lineup is just cooking it. Don't you agree? Well, we've got a fireside chat right now with Eugene Danilkis, uh, co-founder and CEO of Mambu. Eugene is the driving force behind this rapidly growing SaaS banking platform. He leads a, a team of 500 Mambuvians, as they call it, in over 20 countries. While growing Mambu to be one of Europe's most valuable enterprise SaaS companies, he'll be interviewed by Fabian Tausch. At 19, Fabian started a podcast for young entrepreneurs in which he interviews Germany's most successful startup founders. Podcast has grown from to be one of the largest German podcasts within the category of entrepreneurship. Fabian, nice to see you again. Over to you, the origin story of a global SaaS fintech unicorn. Thank you very much for having me again. Um, I think, Eugene, there is not that much more to say about uh, than in the introduction. You founded the company in 2011. Um, it's a Euro European unicorn in the B2B SaaS space. As mentioned, you have 500 plus employees. And um, to be honest, I would be totally down to dive into the story of how you founded it and uh, what's the outlook for the next years. Welcome on stage. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, happy to try to rattle my brain back as to what it was like uh, 10 years ago when uh, when we started everything. Um, but it was, a, it was an interesting founding story. Um, so I met my eventual co-founders when I was doing a master's in the U.S. Um, I grew up in Vancouver in Canada. And after working for a few years as a software engineer, I went over to the U.S. to, uh, to Pittsburgh, to the University of Carnegie Mellon, and did a master's in human-computer interaction. And it was a very interesting program because it's very interdisciplinary. So it was a mix of people like myself coming from a technology background, but there were also people coming from design, from psychology, and they were coming from everywhere around the world. So I get into, you know, I, I moved to, to Pittsburgh. I got my little apartment that I'm trying to set up and making my uh, trips to Ikea. And, you know, there's people coming in from all over the world. And Pittsburgh is, you know, about a three hours drive away from New York. And we have about, you know, two weeks before classes really start. Uh, and so I met, you know, one of the orientation meetings. I met a few people who came into town and they've never been to New York before. And we thought that should be a fun little road trip. So I met uh, a couple of people, one by the name of Freddie coming from Germany and another girl by the name of Sofia coming from Portugal. We invited a couple other people and we rented a minivan and booked uh, the cheapest hostel we could possibly find. And we booked it off to New York for like a long weekend. And we just got to know each other a little bit and we really enjoyed the time in New York and we enjoyed the time hanging out. And we said, you know what, if we have any classes we can take together, if there's any projects we can do together over the program, then let's try to do that together. And so as we were kind of planning our, our schedules, we said, all right, let's you know take a few classes together. And so me and uh, Freddie, my eventual co-founder, we did an entrepreneurship class. So kind of taking technologists like ourselves and introducing us to the startup world, introducing us to business. And we did a few projects from that. And as we were starting to do that, we realized, well, we should just, you know, keep finding things that we're uh, passionate about and want to work on. And we had a chance to work on a big project uh, that spanned a year when we were living in Portugal, which was related to banking software. 
So we were me, my me, Freddie, uh, Sophia, and two other guys were doing a research project that was exploring what's the impact of technology in financial products and financial services. And like we knew nothing about banking, and we knew nothing about microfinance. We knew nothing about this. We were just basically hammering away on Google and talking to everyone that we could find out what's going on. But it was a really awesome opportunity because we got to work together closely as a team. And that company really facilitated us for really understanding what's happening in the industry. They sent us off to Mozambique. They let us go talk to customers. They let us talk to banks. They let us talk to executives. And as we started to do that, we got really excited about the opportunity that existed in the space to introduce a much more modern platform that could enable companies to build better financial products and financial services. Because we saw what was happening in the whole software as a service space in other industries, like Salesforce was really killing it at the time. And we were shocked that really nothing like that existed at all anywhere in the financial services space. So it seemed to us uh, a relative no-brainer that at some point a SaaS platform would have a huge impact to play in financial services. Um, and we got really excited actually about both the opportunity that we have of creating that platform, but also the chance of actually working together as founders and uh, building something together. Question that always arises is um, how do I find the right co-founders? And uh, the question is, uh, you, you met as friends, you studied together and you did projects together. But yeah. was there a moment when it made click, I want to definitely work with them? Or did you question it in the beginning? How did you find out that you as a team work together and will build something like Mambu? Of course, if you, you couldn't know how big it will become, but still you had yeah. to make a decision. I think it came from almost a year and a half of working together, specifically me and, uh, and Freddie, uh, my co-founder from Germany. So we took classes together. We worked on projects together. We built uh, AI robots that had to compete against poker, against each other. So we worked together. We, we, uh, we got to know each other. We got to work on tons of projects together. And I think we had a good feeling over that year and a half of actually kind of working together on things that were not really a startup, but what is the experience of working together like and what's our you know, personal relationship? And we thought it was really complimentary. You know, his background, uh, his skill set, mine as well, our mindset and our approach to, to business. There was a lot of compliments of uh, strength that he brought and weaknesses I had and the other way around. And so for us, it was a matter of like, we really want to do something together. And it was a matter of actually then finding the idea um, and I know for other founders, it's the, it's the other way around, right? You have a founder who has an idea and then they're looking for, um, another founder to compliment them. Someone that might have them, you know, different skills in business or technology or whatever their weaknesses are. They want to find that compliment. But for us, it was a little bit different. We knew we wanted to work together on something and it was a matter of finding what is that right something for, for the two of us. What would you recommend to a founder who has the idea already and is looking to add somebody to the founding team? How um, should he or she go and look out? Yeah, I would imagine that's uh, if you're really uh, just looking for a founder at that stage, it really must be really difficult because, I mean, I've obviously done lots of hiring over the years uh, directly through my team. And of course, making a hire, uh, you always hope that you make the right decision. So it would, you know, what Freddie and I had is a luxury of almost being able to work together for a year and a half before we kind of hired each other for really the Mambu journey. And I think if there's any opportunity to do so, um, I would really recommend people try to find someone which they really believe they uh, they trust. Either it's because they know them or it comes, you know, through someone that they themselves directly trust. I think 
I don't know, I would imagine founding a company with someone you don't really know, but that, you know, on paper has complementary skills. To me, that seems like a pretty big risk. I'd prefer to take the risk of going into, uh, into the journey with a person that you feel has your back, that complements you well enough, um, but that you can really trust each other because the first few years will all be about trust. And even if your ideas of what are complementary skills you needed in the first year of founding, maybe the company pivots after two years and you realize actually you don't you didn't even hire the right co-founder, you need to hire someone else. So you don't want to be in a situation where you simply hire that co-founder. I think it needs to be a person that you really trust um, with with going on you for that whole long journey. So you want to disrupt the banking industry. You are two years after a financial crisis. You did some projects together, but it's not like you exited five companies before. So there is always yeah. a challenge of money. How did you finance the first start? Did you go for <coughs> um, investors? Did you go for the first client? Um, how did everything begin money-wise? How did you tackle this topic? So I think it was in a way good that we both left, you know, our, our jobs and our homes to move to Pittsburgh and to move to Portugal because it was almost kind of like a reset, you know. So when I was living in Vancouver, I had a I had a job as a software engineer, I had an apartment, I was, you know, on a professional track, still pretty relatively early on, but I was in a professional track. And I can imagine that just kind of giving all of that up and taking the financial risks of a startup can be quite difficult. But I did that not with the decision of starting Mambu, but with a decision of going to do my master's in the US. I got rid of all my furniture. I emptied my apartment. I gave my DVDs out to all my friends, which I still haven't seen ever since. And then I moved over to, to the US and I lived in a shared apartment, you know, in a single room on a mattress that was on the floor. And it was totally fine. So I realized that, you know, I could live with, with very little. And so when it came time to starting Mambu, I didn't have, you know, this high standard of living. I didn't have dependents on me. I didn't have a family and so forth. But I also didn't need to, you know, sustain any kind of lifestyle. I realized I, I'm totally fine living in a, in a shared apartment again uh, and doing that to save money. And to make money, I mean, I had a bit of savings from the time that I worked. But the rest of it came because when we started Mambu in the first year, we kind of bootstrapped it. So we spent maybe half of our time on the project and the other half of the time we were doing consulting work, software development work, whatever we felt like paid the highest amount of dollar for the least amount of time so that we could raise money basically to fund ourselves and to get you know, the product to uh, its very initial alpha state. And once we did that, then we went to angel investors and we found an angel investor through Freddy's network in Germany, working with his old university, actually, and the entrepreneurship program there. They introduced us to a few networks. They introduced us to a conference or two that we went to. And it was through that that we started to do pitches. And we started to meet investors. And then one of those investors would end up becoming our uh, angel investor after about one year of bootstrapping or so. How long did it take until you had the first prototype of the product? It was about one, I mean, ours is a pretty complicated product, right? Because uh, a minimum viable product for a platform that manages financial data is quite different than uh, more of a consumer-focused product, right? So, but I would say it was basically about one year from when we started actually developing to when we could actually have our first customer really working on the product. But even then, that first, you know, it wasn't like a finished product. We were still kind of co-developing it with a customer, but it was good enough that it had it was reliable and robust enough given that it had the financial data 
and it had enough features because the customer had very simple financial products. So the feature set was small enough and the platform was robust enough, but it was still about one year uh, to get a first customer actually who could really use the platform in any meaningful way. So today it's hard to find a bank that doesn't use um, or builds on Mambu, but that was different back then, as you mentioned. And definitely managing financial data and um, then a bank trusting a B2B software as a service company that tries to bring bank to the cloud. In 2011 and 12, that wasn't the thing. Cloud, cloud now is still not everywhere. It seems like it because we're living in the startup bubble, but still cloud, if you look at SMEs in Germany and et cetera, is still a hard topic, but I can't imagine how it was in, in uh, 2011 and 12. So the question is, how did you get the first customer? So what was your approach to meet with the people, to, to talk to them, to sell them your vision and then to co-develop the product with them because there needs to be a lot of trust involved in such a product. Yeah, so when we looked at what, what's possible in the market and we, we knew that eventually at some point banks and, and you know large financial institutions would adopt cloud because I mean, it was a trend that was happening in every industry. The only question would be when it happens in financial services. And that was hard to predict. We could have said it maybe 2015 or maybe you would still be here waiting for 2030. So we didn't know how long the time would be, but we knew eventually it would happen. But our focus in the beginning was actually much more on emerging markets. So places like Latin America, Africa, Asia Pacific. Uh, and that was for a couple of reasons. One is those markets we thought would leapfrog what's happened here in, Euro in Europe and the US because they could not afford the complexity and the actual literal costs of the sort of systems and technology that tradition that uh, Western European banks have. It's just simply too expensive and the skill set you need to run it, even if it was given to you for free, would be too complicated. And also they had also one of the biggest opportunities because you had about two and a half billion people in these emerging markets that didn't have any financial services, didn't have any kind of bank account. If they ever got a loan, it would be from a loan shark across the street that would break your legs if you didn't make a repayment. So there was a massive opportunity for new entrants to come into the market and to provide financial services for people who didn't have it. Right. When you look at someone like the new banks that are coming into the market in Europe and U.S., they are providing a better experience for someone that has it. It's not like people are opening up their very first bank account with Revolut for the most part time. It's their new and better bank account. But in emerging markets, a lot of people were actually doing their very first bank accounts and their very first formal loans. So we thought that um, that market would be much more open to a cloud platform because of its attributes of being much easier to use, being much lower cost, and so forth. And there would actually be a chance to leapfrog what happened in the Western world. And there also be less concerns about you know fear, because frankly, you know in those markets, it's you know it's not about trusting the cloud. We had literally companies that had data centers or uh, in basements that were flooded and people didn't know whose money was whose anymore. So worrying about whether or not AWS is secure seems like a bit of a luxury problem when you actually literally have people's monies and bank accounts stored in a basement. It's not backed up or it's on spreadsheets. Uh, cloud for all its potential risks or perceived risks of the time still seemed like a, a huge upgrade and far less risk. So that was kind of our initial focus for the first few years. And then, of course, as the, the fintech started to come into the market 
And as the traditional banks start to become much more comfortable and realize the other value that they get from cloud technology, that really enabled us then to move into uh, into the Western markets beyond just working in, in emerging markets. It's very interesting uh, what you say, because I think everybody can learn a lot from that. You discovered a trend that's happening in different, uh, let's say verticals or business models. Let's, let's say verticals. And you then said, okay, it will come to the fintech world, to the, to the banking world. And, um, but until the European or American um, banks are at the level, there's definitely more work to do. And you looked outside your home markets, which might be based on the research product you did, uh, project, not product uh, you did, um, that you, got this insi these insights you can you can comment on that in a second but um, that's so interesting because a lot of people are just looking at the home market looking for problems they see there instead of also trying a different scope and that's something even when not everybody should find found something out of the scope uh, but that's definitely a different and very interesting perspective so would you say it came from the research pro projects or how did you um, start to think about the emerging markets and then starting there at first? It's where we felt like it was the biggest need, quite frankly, because okay. we, we saw what the technology that was available at the time. So we saw that how weak that was from the providers of the financial services. But also if we looked at it from the other side in terms of the businesses that needed financial products or the individuals that needed financial products, there was also a huge unmet need. So there was also, so you could almost see two problems at the same time. And so that obviously to us made it pretty obvious that that's a pretty big opportunity uh, and a relatively easy place to get started. Over the 10 year course of your company, what were the biggest challenges you did encounter and um, how did you overcome them? So, we talked about the fact that, you know, it was great to start in emerging markets and, you know, we got a lot of traction because we had a lot of customers who were interested in signing up for our, our platform, which was great. So we could co-develop it. We had a lot of growth with the number of customers. But the downside of it was because these are organizations in emerging markets, they're relatively small. They didn't have much ability to pay as well for the products and services. So it wasn't a free platform, but if you consider the complexity of what we were building, our cost base based here in Europe and providing those services is just to emerging markets, that was not going to be a very viable long-term business model. Um, so we kept the costs basically relatively lean for the first few years, and we focused kind of on the product development. And so even if you think about, I don't know, the first four years of the company, I think we were maybe 40 people after four years or so. We've raised less than, uh, I think by 2015, less, definitely less than 10 million euros in, in funding, so even after being in business for five years. Because we were sort of developing the product, we were maturing it with our customers, but we we're also waiting until the real kind of commercial opportunities start to open up before we could really invest meaningfully in growth. So that was always kind of a challenging time because you kind of, like I said, we knew that the markets would eventually shift, but it was very hard to time it, right? And it was a matter of how long can we keep going with just serving emerging markets versus when is the Western markets also going to start to adopt the technology? And is that going to happen soon enough for a time for us to start to grow the commercial side of the business? So it was that kind of middle timeframe, you know, from 2013, 2015, that was really quite challenging because, you know, we had a team, we had a great product, we had a nice customer base, but the commercial side of it was still going relatively slowly. Uh, and we didn't know how long it would wait until it would be until, you know, the Western world was ready to adopt cloud. 
But I think actually it started to change, triggered quite a lot by the challenger banks in the UK, which were the very first ones to start to come into the market. And I think that was a spark that really started everything, both with customers for us, but also then encouraging other new banks to pop up and then so forth and so forth and encouraging banks to also then start to look at cloud seriously and put together their cloud strategies and agendas. And so it was definitely a bit of a stressful time because if everything that I described that happened in 2015 started to happen today, I'm not sure if we would have been able to survive for five years of just doing what we did for the first three years. That would have been definitely a big struggle. You put that into perspective. You mentioned that after four or five years, you were around 50 people. And the last year alone, you um, onboarded more than 200 people. So it yeah. definitely increased a lot and became super crazy because uh, everything went um, somehow according to your hypothesis. I think there were enough struggles, as you mentioned, um, in the in the storyline, um, or not storyline, but <laughs> during the process of, of founding such a company. It looks it, yeah. it's it's not a um, a dream that uh, that happens there only. So. Um, I have I have two more questions and I think we're then already running out of time, which is which is sure. crazy because I have so many more. But um, when you have to um, give somebody advice who is at the beginning, let's let's put yourself 10, 11, 12 years ago. What would you give yourself 12 years ago or yeah, uh, as advice, like from on a macro perspective? on a macro perspective yeah. and not on the B2B fintech stuff, but more on the how how to survive and how to, to run through such a journey. I think, I think it's important to um, both as you're founding the company, but also for you and I guess the founders to step back at some regular basis and define for yourselves what success looks like. Um, try to do that as much as you can from, from the beginning. And I think kind of think deeply about it because, you know, a lot of you're obviously seeing a lot of uh, startups in the, in the media, ourselves included, but, you know, we were reading uh, TechCrunch and as everyone else was. And of course, you read about all these uh, successful startups and, and stories. But you also need to think about what is actually important for you personally uh, as a founder and what does success look like. If success actually looks like I want to have a unicorn, I want to be on the cover of Forbes or, or Crunchbase and uh, ring the bell at NASDAQ, then fine. But make sure you actually really define that and think about that uh, for your journey. Because otherwise, if you don't define it, then what will happen is as you start to bring on people on your team, as you start to bring on investors, they will then define what success looks like for you, right? And I think that's helpful as you make decisions. In the very beginning, if you're bringing on an angel investor, you should have some idea of what success looks like and make sure you align that with what your angel investor thinks success looks like. Because otherwise, yeah, they might give you the money that you want, but maybe they want you to accomplish different things. And as the company goes through different stages, I would think it's really, again, important for you and the founders to each step back and try to define that success for yourselves on a relatively frequent basis. Because as I said, you end up having this momentum that's get, that gets built up basically. And you might forget what is actually important to you as to why you founded the company. Was it about you know the financial freedom? Was it about the, the fame? Was it about proving a business model? Was it was it something else? Was it about networking in the in the startup community? 
what actually was really the most important part of it. And is that the thing that you're still executing on in your role? Because being a founder is just a, it's a, it's a role at the beginning and it's a, it's an event, but over time you become less of a founder and you become more of a, you take on a job, right? Whatever job it is, whether it's your CEO or your technology person, or you're the one that's running payroll, you are now focused on that job. So always kind of come back to what is it really that success looks like for you and make sure you revisit that as you start the company and as you go through different stages of it. I think it's pretty obvious what my last question will be. How is your personal, how is your personal definition of your success? What was important to you? Um, I, that's why I would actually give this advice to myself, to be honest. I didn't define it uh, so, <clears throat> so clearly from the beginning. I think I, I defined it to do something which I felt was impossible, which, was, which I always imagine it's impossible to actually build a company that's uh, sustainable in, in some way. Because I don't know, I never knew anyone growing up who did that. I've never seen it beyond news articles. So to me, success at the beginning was, can we actually create a business and can it be, can it be sustainable? Uh, and then as we achieved that, then it became, well, what is the art of the possible? What can I personally learn at the next stage of the company? And am I up to that challenge? I've always been driven by, by learning. So once I achieved kind of that goal of, oh, it's a sustainable business, then my question was, what can I learn myself as it goes through the next stage of growth? Whether it goes from, you know, 1 million or 10 million in revenue or 10 to 100 or 100 to a billion, what is that stage? of growth and is that something that uh, I'm excited and interested in learning about and creating a company that I'll be proud of. And so far the answer's been yes. Eugene, I'm absolutely amazed by by the story, um, by how the, the interesting part is I researched upfront and I didn't, I, I found one single podcast interview, for example. So it's not like you're the person that wants to be on every cover. And that's why it was um, a real, real pleasure to interview you here and have the honor to, to do so. And I think we're definitely seeing a lot in the future. Now you're on everybody's radar as a, as a unicorn and everybody heard the name definitely um, because of media right now, latest. And, um, so you're always looking for talent. You mentioned last year you had like 200 plus new onboardings. And um, therefore, I can definitely recommend to check out the Mambu page and career page and um, would definitely say the last words um, are yours. I'm very thankful that you joined. Um, thanks to start for the whole conference and everything you do. And I can just hand it over to you and say thank you and um, let you um, say the famous last words. <laughs> well, I hope it's definitely not the last words. Uh, definitely, it was definitely a pleasure to chat and uh, I hope it gives some people some, some tips. And uh, as you said, uh, we're definitely hiring a lot both here in Europe and around the world. So if you're interested in what we're doing, then definitely take a look and uh, maybe I'll be adding you on our Slack channel and saying hi next time you join. Thank you very much to the whole team. Thanks, everyone. Always motivated by learning. Love that. Eugene, Fabian, thank you both.